welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, channel pros. Welcome to episode 14 of Channel Journeys. Rob Spee here, your podcast host and CEO of Channel Journeys Consulting. Thank you for listening, and a special thank you to all my international listeners out there in the UK, Australia, Denmark, Canada, and Singapore, just to name a few. Wherever you are, I'm so happy to have you as a listener. One of these days, I'll do a podcast on my own channel journey. The short version is that I've been working in a variety of channel roles over the past 20-plus years as a vendor distributor, and even as a partner. And during that time, I've created and executed global channel strategies for leading IT companies, including SAS Institute, Carbonite, Arrow, the distributor, and BMC Software. And I've been in a number of startups as well. I founded Channel Journeys Consulting to share my passion for and expertise in the channel. And today, I have a special guest who has dedicated almost his entire career to the channel, My guest is Taylor McDonald. He is the Senior Vice President of Channel Sales at Sage Intact. He got his start as a CPA, but soon launched his own accounting software, VAR Business, and quickly became the top partner in the world seven years in a row for Sage. He then went on to run Sage's North American channel business. He left Sage after a while to run channel sales at Intact, but now he's back at Sage after they acquired the company. We talk about the accountants being part of the shadow channel, but for Taylor, accountants have been one of his most important channels. Taylor is frequently recognized as a channel leader and has been named one of the top 100 most influential people in the accounting profession 15 years in a row. We cover a lot of ground in this interview, including the channel strategy of on-prem versus cloud. We talk about what partners really want from vendors and what on-prem partner programs have gotten wrong. Taylor offers valuable insights and perspectives on how to succeed in the channel as a SaaS vendor, working with what many consider alternative channels. Let's get going. Here we go. Hey, Taylor, good morning. Welcome to Channel Journeys. Great to have you on the program today. Great to be here. Excellent. And are you in Atlanta this week? Nope. Up in Western North Carolina, taking a few days off. Oh, great. Are you up in the mountains? I am. Yeah, that's very nice. I love it up there. Last cool weather of the season. Yeah, I like to escape there in the summertime. Are you an Atlanta native? I am not. I grew up in Dallas, went to Yale, came back to Dallas, and then uh, ended up moving to Columbia, South Carolina, got married, and then about 30 years ago, moved to Atlanta. Okay. Well, you've been here quite a long time. We moved here about 12 years ago. I noticed that you were a varsity swimmer at Yale. What was your favorite event there? The shortest distance possible. (laughs) The 25-yard? Yeah, I was a sprinter, so 50 and 100 freestyle and fly. Do you still swim today? Uh, Not much. Uh, You know, you got to, it's not like if you're a runner and you can just go out and run. You got to go gather up all your gear. You got to go find a pool. You got to go compete with the uh, people that are in the lap lanes and the like. So I tend to do other things. Yeah, I understand. What's your favorite sport now? Well, that's a good question. Favorite sport now? Well, look, uh, like probably everybody, watch a lot of uh, football and baseball. But from an accomplishment standpoint, I think I, I look at the things that are individual in nature. What we're seeing with the women skiers is fantastic. Track and field uh, crew, 
those sports that tend to be aerobic sports always because uh, of their similarity with swimming tend to be the ones that I always follow. And is that what you enjoy doing yourself as well, more aerobic? Yeah, primarily. A, because those are the things that keep you in shape and keep you healthy. And, you know, I guess there are people out there today still playing a lot of corporate softball or whatnot. But, you know, you as a fellow channel person know that having a channel person in the office is is never a good thing. A channel chief director employee needs to be out with partners and the like. And so uh, lots of those things that might be more corporate in nature have, have never really been things that I've been able to do because of, of travel schedules. No, you're right. Being a channel chief means a life on the road for sure, particularly if you're a global channel chief, then it's really gets crazy. So you are the head uh, SVP of channels at Sage. Tell us a bit about what you're doing today, your role there. And so when you said that, so I'm a senior vice president of channels at Sage Intact. So interesting story there, Rob. Say Intact got started almost 20 years ago, kind of languished in the post Y2K world after the dot bomb crash. And then in 2008, as the cloud became front and center, enjoyed great growth. I joined in 2010 as roughly employee 125. And it was a very small company at that point. Now over 700 employees with hundreds of openings. We sold the business in August of 2017 to Sage, a little more than $850 million or roughly 10x revenue. And since that time, my role has continued to be the person responsible for all the channel activities at Sage Intact, which is today a North American job to sort of talk about the the global parts of it. But we started a channel from scratch in 2010, no partners. We had a great product. We had a partner agreement, and that was it. And we've grown that business today to over 50% of the new business. And interestingly enough, we have a kind of unique situation is in that we have a hybrid channel. We have a direct sales team. We have a channel sales team and a very uh, detailed rules of engagement that dictate how those two uh, groups go to market. So at Sage Intact, you said it's about 50-50 channel sales versus direct? Yeah. And so Sage Intact is obviously a, a big portion of a Sage Global where the largest part of their cloud revenues and we're in the process of expanding the Sage Intact product uh, internationally. And the Sage Intact product, is that 100% cloud delivered? Yep. So from the ground up, SaaS uh, multi-tenant uh, solution, only one version, you know, over 10,000 customers today using that solution to run their business and and people's names that you would know run intact kayak.com airwatch uh, marketo near and dear to yours in my heart uh, willie's uh there in atlanta great burrito shop with 30 plus locations now that's a great reference exactly so you were at sage previously in your career your career is kind of sage has been a part of it for for most of your career it looks like as a partner yourself, and then working at Sage running channels. Back then, was there any cloud delivery or was that pure on-prem? It was uh, clear on-prem. And of course, and I believe this is a place that lots of channel organizations really miss the boat. So in the late 80s, I became a, a Sage partner. At that point, State of the Art was by uh, Sage in 1998. State of the Art partner selling their product, MAS90, 
uh, in night with within a CPA firm in 1990. I started my own firm and over the next seven plus years was Sage's largest partner in all but one of those years. Did you start an accounting practice? What kind of company did you create? And then how did you become a Sage partner? So I was working at a local, a large local Atlanta CPA firm running their management consulting division that had a focus on technology consulting. And after a couple of years, realized that there was a tremendous amount of growth here that if in true entrepreneurial fashion, I went out on my own, that we could have even greater growth and hire a lot more people and the like. So in 1990, I left the CPA firm, started McDonald Consulting Group, which was a accounting software VAR, reselling at the time, MAS90 from State of the Art, which got bought by Sage. And then about a year and a half later, we added the Great Plains uh, product from Great Plains Software. We were also one of their five largest uh, VARs. And so that business grew from myself to 30 plus people. And then in early 1998, I sold that to some partners and then went to work for Sage right as they were buying state-of-the-art here in North America. So you became Sage's top partner in the U.S. or globally? Globally, yeah. Wow. And then, obviously, I realized that given my background and the things that I thought I could accomplish by helping other partners be successful, I joined uh, Sage in North America to run their North American channels and was there through 2007, growing the channel programs. And, of course, at that time, Sage was very acquisitive, bought Best Software, bought Timberline, bought ACPAC from Computer Associates, and we knitted all these things together into a unified uh, program with lots of partners, and, and obviously it was a very large business. And all of those products at that time were on-prem slash server-based products. So how has your channel strategy and approach changed from those days when you were running channels for Sage as an on-prem solution versus today with Sage Impact with a full 100% cloud solution? So I would tell you, Rob, that the greatest opportunity of my career was, was joining uh, Intact in 2010. Um, and I say that for a number of reasons. Uh, one, Intact had tried a number of times to build a channel to resell their product and hadn't been successful. And look, there were some reasons behind it. One case, it was too early in the cloud's maturation. Another time, they targeted the wrong types of companies to be partners. Um, So in 2010, there was a great need uh, for this to be successful at Intact. And board and uh, my boss, Rob Reed, the CEO, bought into a different philosophy than what uh, the majority of people uh, had been doing. So we were very fortunate to start with a blank sheet of paper. There was no existing partner program. There were no existing partners, meaningful number of them. Um, So we had the ability to, A, create a cloud program from scratch, but we also had the ability to go look at all of the things that on-prem partner programs had done wrong. And so before I joined and in the first two or three months, I spent a significant amount of time speaking with people that I would want to be partners with intact, but asking them the questions. What didn't they like about their current program? What didn't they like about the relationships that they had with their publishing partner? What were they looking for in a a true partnership with their their publisher? What were the things that wasted their time? What uh, were the things that caused them to to feel uncomfortable with the relationship? And, And 
you know, spent a significant amount of time talking to, uh, of course, we weren't owned by uh, Sage at the time, but I spent a significant amount of time talking with my friends from my Sage partner days, uh, Great Plains partner days, uh, SAP partners and the like, to try to create a program that people would immediately know was different than what they had. So I'll give you a simple example, and then we can dive into this. So partners hate tiers. They hate the metal tiers, gold, you know, platinum, all that kind of stuff. And so we said, can we create a partner program that doesn't have tiers that rewards partners all at the same? And we did. But hey, you know what? One of the pieces that goes with that is that we deauthorize the bottom 10% of our partners every year. So if you're not successful in a world that's growing 30, 40% a year, you're not engaged uh, with us. You're taking up a spot in the ecosystem. We'll give everybody a couple of years to get going on this. But if, you're, if you've been with us for more than two years and you're, you're not having success, then you're not investing in it. So, And so without the tiers, you basically were either authorized or not authorized. Exactly. And the same thing with, you know, partners get tired of playing the games around incentives and spiffs and co-op money. Why not go to them and say, you know what, I've got a, a big chunk of money that I will help any partner with on marketing activities as long as they meet me halfway and they invest their money in things that we both think will be will generate opportunities for them to close business. Does that start with joint business planning at the beginning of each year and laying out their their goals and mutual agreement on those goals? Yeah, it, it absolutely starts with, and we don't call them quotas, but it absolutely starts with having a conversation about our joint goals towards product sales, to renewals, to net promoter scores, to the amount they're going to invest, the hiring they're going to do, uh, so that, that we together have a plan for their success. And I think what you get when you strip down some of these things from what, what other, especially legacy uh, programs put in place, and partners are freed up to make larger investments. So that's an approach that would work, and I think partners would value whether they were cloud or not cloud, you know, could, could be applied either case. Were there other things that you did at Intact that were more specific to developing a successful cloud channel? Sure. So one of them is, is that we provide margin to partners for the life of the customer. So they're incented to, at Sage Intact, we only have one-year agreements with our customers. So uh, partners know that they have the opportunity to build large annuities if they can sell a customer, implement it successfully, and take care of that customer over uh, a long period of time. And they get the, certainly there's, there's occasional downs, but the majority of them are ups because customers are growing. They add more modules, they add more users, they add more entities, and our partners make money every time uh, not only on the re- renewal of the original order, but the renewals of those add-ons. So this can be a very strong economic incentive for partners to be aligned with, say, Gintac, more importantly, their customers and their business to ensure that their customers are happy. Can they earn the same margin on those renewals as they did on that initial subscription? They do. And that's, again, what makes this great. And it's why you it's why you deauthorize the bottom 10% because, again, they're taking up a place in the ecosystem. Our partners are being very successful 
Uh, we've had one partner that started six years ago with five people. Today, he has 105 people that are all dedicated to implementing uh, Sage Intact. So there's a, just a tremendous amount of opportunity here. And the, the story that I tell that there's two sides to is the terrible part about our business is that people, you know, companies only change accounting software every eight to 12 years. Uh, the great part about our business is, is that companies only change their accounting software every eight to 10 years. So if you go and find somebody who is a great prospect for Intact, you uh, sell it, you implement it correctly, you take care of the customer, uh, you're building a long-term value in your, your business. Yeah, that's a huge incentive for the partners to, to keep the, that customer happy. Yeah. So when you mentioned earlier that Intact tried several times, but one of the problems they had was not going after the right type of partner. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. And you know, this comes from a long time of being in this industry. The only people who are going to be successful selling accounting software are people who already sell accounting software. My predecessor went to managed service providers, ISVs and the like, and not surprisingly, didn't have particularly much luck. The reality is that to sell and implement, and piece that's important here is implement, if I go find a 20, 30, 50, $100 million business that is a good fit for Intact. I not only have to understand their business, I have to do significant diligence and discovery around uh, what their issues are, what they're, what's causing them not to grow, what are the things that are causing their finance department, and all the way to people placing orders due to our integration with Salesforce, causing people to uh, have to work harder what are the problems I'm going to solve? And then at that point, once somebody makes a buying decision, that partner's got to go implement uh, that solution to solve those issues. So uh, finding somebody that wants to be in this business that doesn't have a accounting software knowledge, accounting knowledge, finance department knowledge, business knowledge of how documents and, and accounting documents and transactions flow through a system, they can't be successful, right? That's, that's at the heart of what people do. So while we've had some people that haven't traditionally been accounting software uh, resellers, you know, the majority of our partners are people that came from the, the legacy on-prem days, with one exception. And that is that over the last, in reality, the last six years, the CPA firm across the U.S. have made a great uh, jump back into the technology consulting arena. And it makes sense. They have clients, they have reputation. They know accounting. They probably do consulting someplace in the firm. So it becomes more of an issue around sales and marketing than it does being able to understand what a company needs, how to diagnose that, how to implement the software. You said they made a jump back into it. Were they in it and got out of it? Yeah, they were in it uh, like I was in 1988 and in the early 90s when Accounting software really became a boom industry in the early 90s where, where people were likely to be changing accounting software every three to five years because of the change in technology around server-based solutions. And they were in it at that point, but they got out because they couldn't quite understand why they had somebody that was Crystal Reports engineer on their staff, or they couldn't understand why they had a support desk, or they couldn't understand uh, why they had to spend so much money on marketing and sales. And they went and did other things. And then as the cloud came back and the technology went away, you know, back in the on-prem days, we had to have somebody go on site with a CD and 
install SQL Server and the like. That was a completely different idea for a CPA firm. Well, today, go to sageintech.com and start configuring our product. So I don't know if you've heard conversations around the shadow channel that's being discussed a lot today, which is a big shift or transformation in the channel from most people running business through resellers, VARs, MSPs, to now starting to take a look at accounting firms and marketing agencies as if that's something new. But it sounds like that's been something you've been doing most of your career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I know you've been a channel focused Rod Baptiste event. He's had entire days on how do you build the alternative or shadow distribution channel. And I think we're not quite, accounting firms are a natural outgrowth of the types of people that should be involved with our product. It wasn't as big a stretch as somebody saying, how do I go get an advertising agency involved as a shadow channel or or something similar to that. I think it was an adjacency as opposed to a complete jump, but absolutely. And again, the, the beauty of the CPA channel for us is, is that many of these firms are very, very large. They're very scalable. They're willing to invest. They have multiple offices. They have a client base. They have reputations. They have websites. And that makes this a natural for them. And especially as the audit and tax practices uh, change in their growth tra- trajectories, many of them are looking to advisory or consulting uh, services to grow their firms anyway. Is there anything different in how you work with and partner with these accounting firms, the CPA firms, versus a more traditional reseller? What should people think about differently as they're going after, for them, a shadow channel? Well, I think there actually are a couple of differences. And I think you have to look at what each one of those, uh, if we're comparing a traditional accounting software VAR with a CPA firm, what uh, they're good at. So, a VAR might be much more entrepreneurial than a CPA firm. They would be more willing to invest money without having to justify it. I always tell a story about a guy who came to me, and this is, you know, we'll date the, the decade that we're in, but he came and said, hey, Taylor, you know what? I could get a lot of work done at home if I had a portable computer and I could be doing that. And that time, a portable 386 PC was about five grand. I flipped him the corporate Amex card and I said, knock himself out. And he went on his own and worked another 20 hours a week. We certainly compensated him for it. But in a CPA firm, the mentality would be, was that in the budget? If we give it to one person, we're going to have to give it to every person. What if he does something wrong? You know, those kinds of questions that you would ask. So on one side, the VARs are going to be much more entrepreneurial, I think, much more focused on the opportunity. On the CPA firm side, they have lots of of those built-in advantages like client bases, accounting knowledge, scalability, and the like. But as we know, most of the professional services firms aren't geared around sales and marketing. So the answer to your question is we spend significantly more time with the CPA channel around sales, marketing, evangelism within the firm, education within the firm, referrals within the firm than we would with a, a VAR partner. How do you motivate them? To, have you had to create any different types of incentives to, to get them motivated to sell your solutions? Not really. I think that when most people sit down and look at what the annuity can be if they're successful with selling and implementing an intact customer every year, and watching that accumulate over 
a great number of years, that typically gets them motivated. CPA firms can struggle with how do you go take the success in one office and put it in another because you and I know that whether it's a VAR or a CPA firm, success is often being driven by an ambitious individual who is doing everything they can to make that practice successful. So it's hard sometimes to transplant the success that one office is having to other offices. Are you seeing much activity in these firms wanting to develop their own solutions on top of your Sage Intact technology? We see that across all of our partners, CPA firms, VARs, people that are already in our uh, marketplace system. Clearly, when you get into accounting software, while we're in many, many verticals, you know, when you get into a sub-vertical, then you have to build solutions on top of platform. And so we have partners that have built solutions for the oil and gas business, for faith-based industries, and, and on and on that go that last mile to give that customer a complete solution. So there's a lot of partner IP that's being generated out in your channel. Absolutely. I'm curious, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, you mentioned channel 3.0. What are you describing there? When we had this blank sheet of paper, we came up with the moniker of channel 3.0 to express a brand new way of looking at things. And I don't disagree with you that some of these things aren't cloud specific, but what we wanted to do with channel 3.0 was to create a partnership program that was a true partnership with our partners, where in the old days when the publisher did something wrong, the publisher got sick and the partner died. We wanted to build a trust-based relationship between our partners and ourselves. We took a lot of what knowledge you have and what people like Larry Walsh opine on all the time. We have a very small channel. We could go authorize everybody and their brother, but we chose to have an annual partner fee that includes everything that a partner needs to be successful. We limit the number of partners we bring on at any one time. We have a whole team of a dozen people that are focused on our partners being successful from an implementation and support standpoint. So partner enablement, new partner enablement, existing partner re-enablement become incredibly important. So this channel 3.0 philosophy really guides everything we do. So for instance, you know, there's a limited number of partners in a geography because We know that when you put too many partners in a geography, bad things happen. We have required deal registration so that there's only one partner that's pursuing an opportunity at a time. We partners sell on their paper. So they own the customer, they own the renewal, and they own that customer's first line of support because that's what they asked us for. So lots of those things went into that channel 3.0 philosophy to say, hey, you know what? It's the cloud. It's a new day. There needs to be a different partner paradigm of how we work with partners to both be successful. You mentioned charging a partner fee, an annual fee, which seems to people have very different opinions on whether you should or should not charge a fee. Is that something you've always done? And and why are you driving that? We have always done it. And it was certainly something that most of the people that we compete with in our industry do. But So first of all, it's a way to, and look, it's under $10,000. So yes, it's substantial, but it's not like uh, a Chick-fil-A franchise fee, right? Uh, It is a way to determine the people that are serious about this. 
They know that they've got requirements of people that have to, more than two people have to be certified within the first year. They need to have at least half-time salesperson. We're setting the conditions of coming to be a Sage Intact partner. And if you meet them, we'd love to have you as a partner. And then we'll do everything we say, our motto is whatever it takes to help you be successful. And so with that partner fee, they get the use of the Sage Intact product, their own business. They get unlimited training. They get support. So we don't charge partners for support. They get marketing assistance. They have a channel executive assigned to them and on and on and on. So we, we think that what we're providing is you know, 10 times what the partner fee is, but it's a way to separate the people that are serious, just as well as having requirements to be a partner. We require partners to complete our demo champion program, to complete our cloud sales training, and on and on, because again, these are the things that we know to be successful. And, and then, Rob, I think that people like you and me that have been in channel roles for a long time, partners don't ask enough of us and we don't ask enough of partners. So one of the things that if a partner needs a discount to complete a deal, we require that they follow our sales methodology. Well, why do we ask that? Because we know that when you follow our sales methodology, you're going to win 70 plus percent of the time. So if you're not willing to follow our sales methodology, why would we go do something for you uh, to help you probably not win a deal? We know just as an aside that if, if you're running a business and I come out and meet with you and spend four, six, eight hours doing discovery and understanding what your business is like, what the hot buttons are, the th- problems that you want to uh, solve, the use cases and the like that will form a demonstration at a later point, that when I deliver a summary of findings document to you that recounts all the things that I discovered while I was on site, the close rate doubles. So is that document an absolute hard the first 10 times to create, you bet it is. But after you've done 10 of them, they come pretty easy. But we know that it, that when a partner goes and takes that document, discusses it with the decision maker, that they have immediately distanced themselves from the competition. They've proven that they listened and understood what the problems were. They've de- been able to develop what the return on investment is going to be. And they've given the prospect a chance to say, yep, you got it. But here's one or two more things that we thought about. So you can drive best sales practices when a partner requests a special bid, then you say, hey, you, we'll give it to you, but you have to follow our methodology. Yeah. And look, our, our top partners follow our methodology anyway. It's typically the newer ones that go with what they used to do. Our top partners have figured this out long ago that together, as we develop that sales methodology with them, that they have a much better chance of, of selling. And, and this comes from doing the math and I think all channel chiefs at some point do the math with their partners. So when people change the accounting software once every five years, there were plenty of opportunities. When they're changing it once every 10, 12, 15 years, there are fewer opportunities. So doing the math means that I'd better make sure I take advantage of every opportunity and every place where we're a great fit and we're going to be in consideration, we better go execute an unbelievable sales cycle. How do you drive that during your onboarding process? What does that look like? Is it a typical 30, 60, 90 day program? So we have taken the enablement part and and it's different depending on the role of a person in a firm. So we have enablement for salespeople, enablement for consultants, enablement for owners and the like. And so we have a complete plan with report cards and progress reports over that first, what we hope to be 
90 to 180 days to get to self-sufficiency, as well as uh, quick wins. We give every partner 24 hours of, of professional services time so that they can ensure that their first sale and implementation becomes a referenceable client. We don't allow partners to sell deals with modules that they're not authorized on. What a novel idea. And so during that enablement part on the sales side, yes, there's a complete set of sales uh, training, not only of how to sell in the cloud, how to sell our products in the cloud, how to demonstrate our products. And then they're assigned channel executive that during their whole career with Sage Intact, you know, we're going to be co-selling with them to make sure that they are following the right process. And, you know, look, that process is always iterative, iterative, right? When we find out something somebody's doing that's working, we're going to go change the process, shorten it, lengthen it, change a deliverable or whatnot, because you're getting a better result from it. I'm curious, Taylor, who does that co-selling? Is it the channel manager or do you have a separate channel sales team that would do that transactional activity? So we call them channel executives and they are assigned anywhere from at the smallest, a couple of partners who are very large to a dozen partners who are maybe earlier on. And almost every one of these channel executives and Rob, this is where I was going earlier. Guess what? They're almost all former partners in this industry. So they have been in those shoes. cases. They work for larger businesses than any of our partners. They've been owners, they've been salespeople, they've been consultants and the like. So when they speak to the appropriate people at one of their channel partners, businesses, they are respected, they're knowledgeable, they bring all of the assets of Sage Intact to bear, and that helps our partners close business. The thing that I didn't enunciate until early on in my career here, which is something that I think lots of channel people overlook or maybe not even believe is if you believe that, like I do, that if your partners are successful, then you're successful, then the right thing to say is that within reason, there's nothing you wouldn't do to help make a partner successful, right? The beauty of the cloud is, is that we're an annuity model for the partner and we're in an annuity model for Sage Intech. So when you look at working with partners, your single goal should be making partners successful. And the partner's single goal should be to sell, implement successfully, and take care of that customer. Uh, those are the two golden rules that lead to great success for both the partners and for us. And so your channel executive, he's responsible for that partner success. And interestingly enough, most of them are women. But yes, they are responsible with that partner. And at the end of the day, it's the partner's business. You can, you can do all these things for partners. We had one partner that was quoted that says, you know what? If we're not successful with Sage Intact, it's our fault because when we look at all the things that Sage Intact provides us from marketing, sales training, co-selling, professional services assistance, uh, having our executives calling to their prospects and on and on, if, if the partner's not successful, it's typically on them. When we go to deauthorize de- a partner, 95% of the time they say, you know what, you're exactly right. I'm not spending the time necessary to do it. This is on me. I agree with you. Very rarely does somebody fight it and say, you know what, I'm just a, I'm just a, a quarter away from being a great success. Yeah, it's just around the corner. Just give me one more chance. Exactly. Well, how about you, Taylor? What about your own professional success? You've had a very successful channel career. I think coming from the perspective of being a partner would probably played a huge role in that. But what else do you attribute to to the success you've had as a channel leader? 
Well, first and foremost, I think that having been a, a former partner is really the key in understanding how to work with partners. If you are focused on partner success and you're doing everything to get the right partners on board and to help those partners be successful, then success will probably come to you. I think the other part that really has has made a difference is A, having great mentors, but secondly, being very curious. And so curiosity means always learning. It means going to conferences where the people that are there are not business software channel partners. They might be in the telecom. They might be uh, people that buy through distribution. They might be people who don't resell and only consult like in the effectively in the Salesforce channel. So I think there's always things to learn that with a curious mind, asking partners what, what they want allows you to continue to grow and evolve. This is not a business where the same old, same old will get it done. It, it requires reinvention. It requires, you know, pivoting to different models. It requires uh, changing the ways you do things. And so I, I think a lot of that is, you know, as my wife says, I was born with nosiness. I call it curiosity. <laughs> a fine I, line between nosiness and curiosity. Yeah, I'm always curious about how other people do things. I read your podcasts have been great since you and I met. You've got a lot of great people talking about things that every one of us can learn from. I read a ton of blog posts from people that are out in the channel consulting world because, again, all it takes is one thought to reaffirm that you're on the wrong path or to reaffirm that you're on the right path. And uh, we've got some great commentators out there in the channel world. And we also have some great resources like podcasts with people that we can all learn from. So look, I think hard work, ambition, understanding that, and I've been in partner organizations in the past where the organization didn't care about partner success. So to me, for the channel folks that might listen to this, the first and foremost thing is if you believe that your role is to help make partners successful, the question you have to ask is, is your organization aligned with that goal? And at Sage and Sage Intact, uh, we're absolutely aligned. That's job one to make our partners successful. Does it mean you go do something stupid for a partner? No, it means that within reason, again, you do whatever it takes. That alignment, is that something you have to work at continuously or was it something that you earned and then has been in place since then? Well, look, I think when, when I joined Intact, since it was, there was no partner program, it was something that was earned very quickly over time as our partners became successful. But there was a, an agreement at the board level because at that point we were VC funded and from our management team that building successful channel was instrumental to our success going forward. And so when, when all of those constituencies, including our partners, saw the framework of the Channel 3.0 philosophy, they got that this was the way that you build this alignment. One of the things I didn't mention is, is that you know, our partners, since we are in a hybrid model, our partners do about 70% of our direct team's implementations. Hmm. So this is one more way to help them grow their businesses and become larger based on our overall joint success. Yeah, Taylor, I think there's a very direct correlation between percentage of implementations that are done by partners and the success of your channel. Absolutely. And that alignment becomes uh, important. Again, 
I've, I've been a couple of places where partners were seen as a necessary evil. They were underinvested in. There was always a desire to claw back uh, revenue from partners and the like. Some of those could have been fixed. Again, most partner channels have way too many partners and they have way too many unproductive partners. And there's this uh, fear of going in and deauthorizing those partners. I think it's unfounded. It's easy in most cases to go and have a conversation with the underperforming group and set new expectations and give them time to cure that, if you will. And then if, if it isn't cured, you part ways and your channel is better because it's smaller and deeper and stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Taylor, we're getting towards the end of our time. I like to jump to the personal side a little bit to, to get to know you a little bit better. You may know I'm a big fan of adventures. I was out in the, the desert of Phoenix last weekend cycling. That was my desert adventure. I got a little bit too close to a cactus. But I'm wondering yourself, do you have any favorite uh, adventures that you've done during your lifetime? Well, I think that the greatest adventure that all of us can em- embrace is travel. And I'm particularly enamored of international travel. There was a quote uh, from Rick Steves that I read this morning that said, the single greatest benefit to all Americans would be to uh, travel at least once internationally. It would change your perspective on everything. And that's certainly a luxury that, that I've had the opportunity to undertake. Having four great kids is always an adventure. And being with them as they uh, do certain things, as, as uh, undertake activities, has been a, a great lifelong benefit. And then things like I, I enjoy uh, uh, skiing and being outdoors, hiking and the like. And all of those things are, are things that are great opportunities to clear the mind, to, uh, to find satisfaction and enjoyment outside of work. Yeah, absolutely. Do you like watching that Rick Steves program? Yeah, look, you know, I've seen a lot of them. It's kind of like when you turn on on diners, drive-ins, and dives. You've probably seen them all before, but they they always spur some thought or something that you should do, or or a way to undertake things as a local as opposed to a tourist, which I think is a is a, a better way to travel. He's from Edmonds, Washington, where my brother lives, and my brother says he occasionally sees him around town there. That's funny. Yeah. Is there one thing that people don't know about you that you'd want to tell our audience about? Boy, that's uh, what do you what do you hear from people when when you ask that question? I hear the same response that you just gave. (laughs) And it's funny, Rob, because for the first nine years that our CEO, Rob Reed, still there, was run is running the company. He's interviewed almost every new employee. And so he at our company meetings, he asked people that didn't interview with him to stand up. And he asked them a question, you know, what do, what do you not know or, or what does everybody in the room not know about you? And the, the reactions, A, I mean, I wouldn't answer the question, but B, most of the answers are fairly hilarious and some made up, clearly. <laughs> you know, I don't think they're when, when you ask that question, you know, I, I think the, the typical response might be, hey, you know what? I'm a person that you what you see is what you get. You know, passionate about hard work, partners, making partners successful, helping their kids, those kinds of things. Been married 37 years. So I think there's probably not much people would be surprised to find out. It might be like that question in an interview. Tell me about your weakness. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you know what the greatest answer to that is? What's that? 
well, in five years, I want to be running the company. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Where, where, where it was obvious that they weren't listening. And that was their biggest weakness. Well, I have one for you that people wouldn't know unless, of course, they read your LinkedIn profile. I noticed that you were named the top 100 most influential people in accounting for like the last eight years. Uh, it's 15 total. 15 total. Yeah, it goes on and on. And look, that's something that I'm certainly proud of because it's great to be recognized by the people in the industry. And I think it's like a lot of things. It, it says that you're old and that you've been doing something a long time and hopefully that you've been doing it in a way that, that has brought a lot of success to the people around you. And again, I can't harp on that, which is probably, you know, in my early days, I didn't understand that. You know, I had, I had some great success as a, as a partner. And then when I went to work with Sage, I think I helped partners. But over the last nine plus years at, at Sage Intact, you know, as you get older, you, you can distill down philosophies and, and things that guide you. And again, we've been fortunate enough here at, at Sage Intact to have a great team of almost 40 people on the channel team. And they all live and die every day with what does it take to help make my partner successful? And when you do that, the rest takes care of itself, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. It's kind of like that customer first strategy or employee first strategy. Yeah. It's, if our partners are successful with the economic model that we have in place, they're going to have unbelievable success. They're going to love being a Sage Intact partner. They're going to be partners with you, true partners in helping you reach uh, our joint goals. And the byproduct of that is their, their customers are going to have their businesses transformed by great product we have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Taylor, it's been excellent chatting with you. Really enjoyed the conversation. You have a ton of great tips, I think, for our channel chiefs out there of getting into the SaaS world, your channel 3.0 model. All right. Well, very good. Thank you again for joining the program and Look forward to seeing you in the near future. You bet. Wow, guys. Thanks for listening. That was one power-packed talk with Taylor with huge takeaways. One that I really liked is what Taylor calls Channel 3.0. It provides an interesting roadmap for a trust-based channel philosophy and program that is well worth looking at. You can find all of his value bombs summarized in my show notes at channeljourneys.com backslash 14. Next week, you can find me in Las Vegas at the Channel Partners Conference and Expo, which is produced by Lorna Gary, who was my guest from last week's podcast. I would love to see you there. And you can join me next week here on Channel Journeys for my interview with Heather Margolis. She is the Channel Maven of Channel Maven Consulting. Until then, have a great Channel Journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.